What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Big Ten Football Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Guggenheim. And we are talking about the state of college football in the year 2023. If you like the podcast, make sure to like, follow, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts, make sure you've got this dialed in and subscribed. Make sure to leave a review. Follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram. Send me an email, Talk at gmail.com. I, I, the couple reasons why I'm doing this podcast now. One, if I'm, if I'm just blatantly honest, I need to buy time before I make my predictions for the season because I've flip-flopped more than a politician. Uh, I, I'm very torn. And so... I figured I'd buy some time by doing a podcast about the state of college football because clearly that take's going to be better than my my preseason take. Uh, in, in all seriousness, well, that that is very serious. I, I'm very torn on where I'm going with my playoff prediction, my Big Ten predictions. I, I, I don't think it's... Much of a spoiler alert to say that I think one of three teams wins the Big Ten. I, I'm just not sure who. I had I was pretty convinced of where I was going to go about two or three weeks ago. And then uh, I listened to several different knowledgeable sources, college football nerds, uh, the podcast. Uh, it's an Ohio State podcast. Doug Maurice and Bill Landis, uh, they do uh, Kings of Columbus, which is a really good listen. You guys should – it's not just about Ohio State. It's very much in context of Ohio State. But Doug Maurice has always been very good at thinking about the broader landscape of college football, and I appreciate that about him. Uh, he's also just, I think, a fun listen. So I – I've listened to them. I've listened to Josh Pate. I've listened to several other other people. And I'm just very, very torn on what I think. And so I need to, I need to take a deeper dive uh, before I, I make any predictions. Uh, I, th- I think they will come out Friday morning. I'm going to probably record uh, sometime Wednesday or Thursday my thoughts. Uh, this is coming out on Tuesday morning. But I, I do want to talk a little bit more about the state of college football. Um, I, too, like to think about the big picture. And, you know, I've, yeah, I've done it a little bit with the the recent additions with Oregon and Washington and US, USC, UCLA. And, I you know, I was having a conversation with my mom. My mom and I... You know, my mom is the reason why I became a Buckeye fan. And because of that, the reason why I became a college football fan. You know, she was lamenting at the loss of conferences and that the the Pac-12 is dead. 
you know, a lot of people saying that, the, you know, the Pac-4 might merge with other teams. And I'm like, it's, it's never going to be the same. It's never going to be the same. And there's a reality that there's the sport that we knew 20 years ago, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, is very different than what it is now. And I think for some, that's very disappointing. I think for others, it's very exciting. And I think for a majority of us, it's somewhere in between. At some level, it's it's a shell of amateurism. But at the same time, it is, it's semi-professional, which I think is kind of how the NFL has always looked at it. It's like the college ball is their farm system. And typically in farm systems, the, the minor leaguers get paid. Now, the, the minor leaguers in this point, some of them are making millions of dollars with an IL now. But the, the point is, the sport has changed so dramatically. And I think a lot of people are, are kind of like, what in the world is going on? Uh, so I want to talk about that. The, the other thing I want to I want to talk at the end, I've I've shifted a little bit on my position with Oregon and Washington joining the Big Ten. Although I will say I've had a lot of, uh, not well, a lot, for me, a lot of engagement, which is like five tweets. But, you know, I've had some some guys uh, tweet at me and, and I appreciate your engagement and I'm not going to, you know, not going to back down from it. Um, it, who really disagreed with my my take on Oregon and, and Washington, and I'm going to talk about that at the end. Um, I haven't. I, I wouldn't say I've shifted certain things. I think I've just shifted my big picture thought overall as I've thought about it more. And I'll explain a few things uh, at the end. But let me let's just talk about the the state of college football. Why is it changing so drastically? And I think you have to remember the way that this sport started versus where it is now. And I I particularly appreciate my position because so I my full-time job, I'm a, a I work in campus ministry at several schools in central Pennsylvania. One of them is Bucknell University. Uh, it's Patriot League. You know, Bucknell's not a good football team. It's not a good football program. Uh, at least not not right now it is. It isn't. FCS, Patriot League typically is not very good. I, don't, I actually don't think they offer full athletic scholarships. Uh, that I could be wrong on that. But they have a trophy in their athletic department, I think from the 50s, where they beat Miami in the Orange Bowl. And that's, I think it's the only bowl game they've ever been to. And then, of course, you know, they, they don't compete for those anymore. You know, they're if they're ever in the playoffs, they're in the FCS playoffs. And that, to me, illustrates what has happened with college football. See, Bucknell in the, in the 50s was playing teams like Miami. But if, you know, if Bucknell played Miami today, they'd get murdered by 100. It's like, why? Well, because for Bucknell, their football team is still an academic... It, it's academics first. 
you know, the football program's not making any money for the school. They're, they're probably losing money off of it, right? The, the way that they're able to build facilities is they have big-time donors who are giving massive gifts plus Bucknell has a massive endowment. So I don't know what's, you know, where money's coming from where, but the reality is the football program is not designed to make them revenue. It's an academic endeavor, right? It, it's similar, like for the most part, the basketball team isn't bringing in a ton of money, most likely, right? Maybe in concessions, and but you know you can get a, a ticket for fourteen bucks, and and that's their better program. Like basketball, basketball is their thing. You know they upset Kansas back in the tournament, I think two thousand five. Uh, they've been in the NCAA tournament and have really pushed good teams. They played Michigan State pretty tough a few years ago. Um, knew a lot of a lot of the guys on that team. It was really fun. Um, and that they're not making a ton of of money on. Sports, it's it's more of an academic endeavor, or it's it's more tied to academics. You look at Ohio State, you look at Michigan, you look at Penn State, even teams like Indiana, and Northwestern. Although Northwestern's a little, a little different, but football is driving a lot of revenue for the school, right? So when that started to change the reality of amateurism started to change right it because the schools were in tv contracts they're so they're making a lot more money because of media they're making a lot more money because of ticket sales they're making a lot more money uh, x y and z right i was looking at tickets for ohio state for west uh, Western Kentucky. I'm hoping to bring my son to a game, and you can't get good seats for under a hundred bucks right now. I'm sure if I waited out, I can probably get a few a few seats for, you know, fifty bucks or sixty bucks. But still, like for a group of five team, for Ohio State tickets, it's probably going to be anywhere from forty to seventy bucks, and that's a cheap game. Like when Penn State comes to town, it's going to be hard to find a seat. It's two hundred dollars or or less. And the, the, the reality is now I know a lot of those are, they're being resold and whatnot. But my point is this, if you fast forward 70 years from the fifties to now, the big name schools, it, it's, it's a business. Just like the NFL is a business, college athletics, major college athletics have, has become a business, which changes everything. Because if it is a business, then you have to start operating like a business, right? It's very different from like Little League or high school sports. So high school sports, you know, you don't really have a problem with who's the best team in the state. You're in a division, you're in a, in a district, you're in a conference, and you're, you know, in Pennsylvania, you're the 6A champion or the 4A champion or the 2A champion. And no one really is obsessed with who's the best out of those six teams. It's just like, oh, you're the state champion. But when you have a business and you need to figure out who the number one team is, uh, 
Well, then you got to find out who the best team is out of the major teams. So that throws another wrinkle in. So you've got revenue, but also you start to lose the regional aspect. So, you know, Ohio State, the big carrot or the, for the Big Ten, anyone in the Big Ten, the big carrot at the end of the season was could you make the Rose Bowl? And if you made the Rose Bowl, it was the best season, right? You beat, you know, for Ohio State, you beat Michigan, you go to the Rose Bowl and you win the Rose Bowl. That's like, man, forget the national championship. You won the Rose Bowl. You know, Ohio State was just in the Rose Bowl two years ago. It was a disappointment. And the traditionalists and Kirk Herbstreet will come out and say, you should be absolutely proud of the Rose Bowl. And in the old world, absolutely you should be proud of the Rose Bowl. But the problem is we're not in a tradition-laden amateur sport anymore. We're just not. Because we've, you know, be, football, college football has become a major revenue maker. And because... It's become a quest for a national championship. And because of, you know, players now making money for schools and not seeing a penny of it until a few years ago, now all of a sudden things have changed. And I think a lot of people are trying to figure out, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? And I think the traditionalists would say it's a bad thing. And I think forward people thinking are, oh, you people need to get your heads out of the sand. It's a great thing. And I'm here to tell you, it's just a different thing. It's just a different thing. So like back in the day, like two years ago, well, actually more, more like 10 to 15 years ago, it was still a very regional sport. Right? Like even, even though that Penn State made the jump to the Big Ten a while back, it was very regional. There were a lot of regional ties to it. Nebraska even kind of made sense, but that was that was the start of moving from regional to national. Because if you look at Nebraska on a map, it kind of fits and it kind of doesn't. Like it's kind of out there. And if you, if you ask what the reasoning was for Nebraska getting out of the Big 12, it's because Texas, no offense, was kind of being a diva and they had all the power. And Nebraska kind of saw the writing on the wall and said, hey, if we stick around too long in the Big 12, we're going to lose power and influence and money. Now that, that sounds like a business move, right? And in doing so, it starts to make the sport more national instead of regional. And so now you look at the SEC as well, and they take Missouri and they take Texas A&M. And again, Texas A&M kind of makes sense. Missouri doesn't really, it kind, I guess kind of, it's, it's, it borders, I need to look at a map. It, it might, you know, it's, it's near Kentucky and kind of near Tennessee, but like, when you think Missouri, you really don't think SEC. So, like, what's going on? They're they're expanding. It's becoming more national. And the reality is, once that started, it wasn't going to stop because the reasoning 
was it was better money. It was more exposure. Athletic departments are making decisions based off money, based off revenue, not for the love of the game. And that's not to say that players still can't play for the love of the game. It's not to say that coaches can't coach for the love of the game. But there's also a reality. There's, there are millions and millions and, and, dare I say, billions and billions of dollars wrapped up in major college football. And so this was a natural inevitability. And because of that, things have to change. And, and this is the thing that I think, the major pain point that I think we've all felt in college football is that the traditionalists that kind of lead the sport, the gatekeepers, are not moving fast enough and not leading well enough to make the changes that are necessary. So the playoff is a great example. You know, they did a great job of recognizing, hey, we can't get away with a two-team system anymore with the BCS. We got to expand. And so they go to four teams, which is great. But then you have this greater problem of who gets in and who doesn't. And like, well, it should be the four best teams. Well, it should be the four most deserving teams. And it's like, right, how are you going to figure that out with 130 teams? And what, what they do is they get a panel to vote in who they think it's it's American Idol, the college football edition. And it's stupid. But you know what? It's better than the two team system because it does allow more access. But as soon as you do that, well then you run into all these problems. Well, different conferences have different rules. And different teams and different athletic departments have different priorities for their scheduling. So even this year, and I don't think it's all Michigan's fault, but Michigan's playing like Amy's school of, you know, I was going to say something probably not helpful, so I won't do that. Uh, you know, they're going to they're going to play three terrible teams in the off or in the non conference. I think one of them is because a team backed out. Where Ohio State has to deal with Western Kentucky, who's not. They're not great, but they're they're a decent uh, group of five team, and they go to Notre Dame. Like they're going to be really good this year, like probably a top fifteen or top ten team. So like that's uneven. You look at at Georgia. You look at like they all have different schedules. Why? Because athletic directors are determining their non conference schedules, and you know who's determining their conference schedules. The Big Ten commissioner or the SEC commissioner, you know who's not determining the schedules? One cohesive body like the NFL does. There's, there's, no, there's nobody managing the schedules to make it fair and equitable across 130 teams because apparently the NCAA is more... Uh, bothered by a hamburger than actually making the sport fair. Like, I mean, we saw it with COVID, right? COVID was like the wild, wild west in college football. 
The SEC, we're playing. The Big Ten, we're not playing. Oh, just kidding. We are playing. We're going to do eight games. SEC, we're going to do 10 games. The ACC, we're going to do 10 games. And we're going to have, we're going to force Notre Dame to be in a conference for a year. What the heck? <laughs> and it, it, it screams the problem, which is that major college football, I'm talking about FBS and really just the top 40 or 50 programs, like Power Five and, and maybe not even all the Power Five teams. But like what it's really screaming is that there are elements of amateurism and elements of traditionalism that still kind of has its grasp on college football while it still wants to be more of a business and more of a a professional entity, which is why there is so much frustration across the board because it doesn't know what it wants to be. I think there are a lot of people who want to say it's really just it's really just minor league football. And if we could just say that's what it's become, you know what happens? You get a commissioner for the whole thing and you change conferences like it's no longer the Big 10 and the SEC, it's just the North and the South, which is I think kind of where it's headed anyway. Like the Big 10 is the North division or the North Conference, and the SEC is the South Conference. And then in that, you have like five or six divisions each, and then you have a playoff. Oh my gosh, that that'd solve a lot of problems. And you can still have regional rivalries, right? That's kind of where it needs to go, and you need to have one trigger man to kind of manage it all. But it's going to take a while to get there because, well, you got to make the bowls happy. And you got to make the athletic directors happy. And you got to, and it's like at some point you have to realize you can't play this game anymore. Like it's either that or you go back to the old, old system, the bowl system, which nobody wants because you know what happens with that? Split national champions, not a true champion. And you know what? Nobody wants to go back to that. Like people might say they want to go back to that. But like, do you really want to go back to debating on, you know, in a bar or, I mean, God forbid, Twitter? My gosh. You know, who's the be- who was the best team in 1994? You know, Penn State, Nebraska fans. That's a, that's a real thing. Who was better in 97? Like, let, let's be real. The playoff, as, as much as the playoff era has, has produced some stinkers of games... At least we know who the champs are, right? Um, I, and before you know, before people get on me and say, and say, yeah, well, but the playoff has produced bad games. Well, but even that idea is the question is raised by the the value, valuability and the of the product that's being put on the field. Remember, we're talking about a college, we're talking about college athletics and we are debating whether it should be on the field because of, of the quality of the product. If that doesn't scream to you business, I don't know what, to, like, I don't know what else to tell you. 
like I watch, I cover high school football uh, every Friday. Let me tell you, there's a lot of games we cover that are not very competitive. And you know what? Nobody is screaming, oh, you know what? You shouldn't have covered that game because the two teams, they weren't evenly matched. It wasn't a good game. You know what? Nobody cares. It's just about school pride. It's just about getting on the field and being a good teammate. And for you know the best teams in the state, they're trying to get to the state championship. Like nobody is complaining about how how good the game was. You know, we might we we hope for a good game, sure. But like nobody is sitting there, you know, listening on the radio, being like, you know what, they really shouldn't have matched these two teams up. Like, no, it's high school football. That's just what happens. But you know what happens with Ohio State? Or Michigan or anyone? Why the heck did we schedule Youngstown State? It wasn't a good game. Business. It's business. And so I think... Now, before I I continue, let me just say, I am a traditionalist in a lot of ways. I, I remember playing NCAA college football and wanting to collect all the bowl game trophies because I thought that was cool. And I was like, oh, it'd be fun if one year Ohio State played in the Peach Bowl or in the Las Vegas Bowl. I mean, not really because I wanted them to do well, so it's like Rose Bowl. But it's like, oh, it'd be fun to go to the – in 2023, this season, as an Ohio – I'm saying this as an Ohio State fan, and I think most of you can understand this. If you told me that we were going to the Las Vegas Bowl, I'm like, I'm not watching the season. Like, that's not good enough. Which, again, the expectations have changed. Right? Before it's like, all right, did we make a bowl game? Was it a good bowl game? Was it a New Year's bowl game? Now it's like, I don't care if it's a New Year's bowl game or not. Did we make the playoff? And again, some people view that as bad. That we we have a playoff-only mentality. And my response is, I think if the way it's gone... I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's just a different thing. It's the merging of two worlds. And I think if we want it to actually be streamlined, we just have to acknowledge it. Like we are not living in an, in the the same college football world that we did 20 years ago. Like we're just not. We're paying, you know, players are getting paid now. Athletic or athletic departments are making buku bucks, you know, it's a far, it's essentially the farm system for the NFL. We have a playoff now to determine one true champion. You can't hold on to the relics of the past while also trying to make a new product. And so I, I'm this is my whole thought. I think the state of college football is I, I'm excited where it's going, not because I like all the changes, but my hope is that as things continue to change, so we got the you know 12-team playoff, and it's coming sooner than expected. Why? Because they realized that the 14 playoff was flawed, that it wasn't meeting the itch, which I could have told you when they expanded to four. As soon as you excluded one of the Power 5 champions, that was going to be a problem. Now you got a bigger problem because the Pac-4... That's going to be a tough sell to say, hey, your champion should get in the playoff. But that's 
that's a whole, again, that's a whole nother system, which is exposing, I think, the reality. You need a commissioner to set the rules and say, you're in a conference, you're in a conference, you're in a conference, you're in a conference. So we need to get past this lie. I, I, would, I would just say it's an outright lie that we're still in an amateur, uh, this is still an amateur sport. When you're talking about the major college football programs, that that brings me to back to Oregon and Washington. And I think as I've thought about it more, I actually really am beginning to like the move. And it's because I think ultimately, I don't think Florida State and Clemson will end up ever joining the Big Ten. And I think Notre Dame... Notre Dame will join when they're ready. Um, I think the ACC is going to hold out for a while. I think the ACC, because of some of their agreements, it's not going to make any sense for Clemson and Florida State to jump ship anytime soon. Now, who knows? There, there could be... Anything can happen. But my guess is the ACC will dissolve a little bit more subtly than the Pac-12 did. And I just don't think the Big 12 is ever going to be taken seriously like the Big 10 and the SEC. But I, so what I like about Washington and Oregon, for one, I don't think I realized that Seattle was the number 12 overall media market in the country. It's a lot higher than I thought it was. So that's, you're adding a top 12 top 15 market but also I think more importantly the Big Ten is solidifying itself as essentially the North Conference for this new world just like I think the SEC has solidified itself as the Southern Conference and I think ultimately what happens and I think you know Doug Maurice has made this point a lot on the podcast you're it's it's essentially a, a race between North and South and I think the North has become a lot more interesting. And I, I think because the media exposure, because of the, the revenue, I think they, they really have placed themselves in a way to compete against the Southern, the Southern sphere. And I think it sets them up well for the future of college football, which is, I think, in the next 10 to 15 years, regional conferences kind of just go by the wayside, which they already are informally, but I'm, I'm talking about name. I, I really don't think the Big Ten and the SEC will exist as they do right now. I think I think where we have to be headed is a two-conference system that sets up a real playoff based on real metrics, not just Condoleezza Rice saying that you're awesome. Um, so... I think that's good. It solidifies the North. And I want to clarify, when I when I said that Washington and Oregon are Wisconsin, listen, I think from a competitive standpoint over the past, you know, 20 to 25 years, certainly Oregon has had more peaks, right? I I would still argue you know, and people will disagree with me on Twitter, and that's fine. I would still argue that outside of a five-year run by Oregon, 
Like, Oregon's been a perennial eight-win, nine-win team in a conference that honestly has not been that great. So I, I don't think it's great from the standpoint of you're bringing in a blue blood. Like, Washington is a good team. It's a top 20 program. Oregon's a good team. They're a top 15, maybe borderline top 10 program in the country. Um, and that's really good. You need that in the Big Ten because I think – and I've been thinking about this as I've been doing the the Big Ten rankings. One of the – or Big Ten preseason picks – it's not like it's going to be three or four really, really good teams. Actually, no, it's probably going to be like five. And then the other not eight or nine are going to have really bad records. And so you don't have teams that can maybe get you once in a while. I At least I don't think. Now, I, I could totally be wrong on that. Obviously, USC adds an element that's different, right? They're, they're a blue blood. You know, someone made the point on Twitter that because LA, the NFL is in LA, that might take away from their viability as a team. I don't know. I, I think USC has been relevant both when the NFL is in town and when they're not in, in town. So I, I I mean I think the excitement fan excitement is probably down because of the NFL but I think if you have Lincoln Riley and USC and you're you have one of the best recruiting states in your backyard I I don't think Lincoln Riley is going to have any hard like any difficulty at least getting an offense there um so I I do think USC is is definitely a couple steps ahead that being said I do I think I'm coming around to the reality that I think Oregon and Washington does add a, a, it certainly adds a bit more credibility. I think their name cachet is certainly higher than everybody outside of USC, Penn State, Michigan and, and Ohio State. And I think because of the money that Phil Knight has thrown at Oregon and, and because they've had some high profile games over the past 10 to 15 years, I think I think certain people view Oregon higher than they, they actually have been. Again, I think Oregon's a fine program and I think I think Washington is a good program. I I still don't think either of them are home runs. And that, that's been my point. I, I, I wanted them to wait for the for the Golden Goose, which was Notre Dame. But the reality is I, I think if it goes to that level of, you know, north and south, you're gonna get Notre Dame. And so all, all that to say, I think the Big Ten, I think the Big Ten even more so than the SEC, has been more forward-thinking. Now, maybe have they thought about, well, this is going commercial, we have to go... I don't know about that. I think they're still thinking in a bit of the old system, right? Like, we got to expand so that we can survive. And at some point... but. The, the reality is they have positioned themselves to be in a situation where when all these changes do need to happen, they will be in the driver's seat and they will have a lot of control. 
So, and that, that them and the SEC, that they've really positioned themselves well to be the two dominant conferences in a world where I think we will only have two conferences in the next 15 years. Um, and is that a good thing for college football? Is that a bad thing for college football? It's a different thing. I think what's good about it is it's recognizing what it, what it has become organically, intuitively. And I think the longer we try to resist some of the changes, the, the more clunky it's going to feel. And we're going to be like, ugh, maybe we, we need to change some things. So those are my thoughts. I understand that, that some of my thoughts are probably very jumbled. I, I really got in here with no agenda other than to verbally process out what I think about the, the state of college football is. So if you listen to the past 36 minutes, um, I wish I could give you a prize. I don't have one. But hopefully it's, it's, it, it's insightful. Uh, I think... I, I do think if you have grown up with college football for the past 40, 50, 60 years, I, I don't want you to hear this and be like, you're wrong for wanting the tra- traditions back. You're not wrong. It's not a bad thing. It's just the problem is the sport has changed. Whether we wanted it to or not, it's changed. And we can either acknowledge that and adapt or we can fight like crazy to, to keep it the way it has been. And I just don't think that's going to be fruitful because that's not what most pe- how most people view college football anymore. Uh, it's a business. It's an entertainment product. And you know, s- as soon as people start putting it in that realm, well, of course you got to pay players because who's providing the entertainment? The players. They're no longer student athletes. They are revenue generating. Uh, they're not employees yet, but they're revenue generating talents. And so you've got to you've got to recognize that. That's what makes this so difficult and so hard. Is we live in a world where we are trying to say that this is an amateur sport with student athletes. And at the highest level, it's not really amateur and they're not really student athletes. Like, yes, they go to class because otherwise the NCAA will rule them academically ineligible because that's about the only thing they're useful for at this point. But other than that, like, they're there to play football. And that's not to say that a lot, like, I know a lot of them take their school seriously, or their academics seriously. So please don't hear me saying, oh, they don't care, nobody cares about school, you know, the old Cardale Jones quote, which has been taken so out of context. Um, but that's not what, that's not what I'm saying. There's certainly students, but that's, that's really not how the university is seen, at least for the most part. You know, obviously different schools have different philosophies. But I'm going to stop rambling. I hope this is insightful. Uh, if not, you can go to the next episode. So, But I appreciate you guys. Um, one fun thing, real quick. Um, you know, I 
this doesn't feel like a big deal probably for some, but it feels like a big deal for me. We just crossed 25,000 listens. Uh, if you told me that we were going to have that many listens, well, one, I probably would have told you it was just going to be my mom. Uh, so, hi, mom. But, and then then, then I'd probably think it's probably Jim and Chris Ebersol because they've been, I think, the biggest fans since the beginning. So, thanks, Jim. Thanks, Chris. Uh, but in all seriousness, I, I, you know, whether you love it or hate it, uh, very grateful for you guys. Um, love the banter on Twitter. You know, we might disagree and that's okay. Uh, I still love you guys. I'm thankful for you. Um, yeah, hope hope you guys have a great day, great night. College football is almost upon us. It's going to be awesome. So that's it. Take care. God bless.